to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the only book club podcast that looks fabulous in green, no, ma- okay. no matter the occasion. Look great in green sweatshirts, dresses, pants even. Do you own any green pants, Amanda? No, I don't own green pants. Yeah, I have I, some green socks though. <laughs> I own kind of a a kind of tealish pant. I feel like I at some point was trying to buy different colored pants just to change up the wardrobe a little bit. <laughs> Do you like to tell color stories with your socks? No. Yeah, me, me neither. I've never. I had a friend who was a coat teacher with me when I was teaching in a middle school. He had very flamboyant, very loud socks, which I respected but didn't really understand. Yeah, I mean, I like pretty socks and stuff like that, but I do it for me. I don't, I don't show it to others right. necessarily. And I, I also let my daughter choose my socks, and she likes to choose my rainbow socks pretty consistently. Yeah, and <laughs> if she's the person who has to see them most often, then why not make it appealing and fun? Exactly. Add some spunk to the sock. Yeah. Anyway, we look killer in green, and the reason we're <laughs> discussing fashion, if you haven't realized it by now is that today's podcast will be a book club episode covering the novel The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. As I said, we are the Lightly Literary Podcast. I am Travis. That is Amanda. You can follow us on social media. We've got an Instagram account and a Facebook account at the Lightly Literary Podcast, all one word. Also, please rate and review us, as always, on your podcast platform of choice, however you found us today for this book club. Today, as I mentioned, we'll be discussing a novel by Taylor Jenkins Reid, which is largely about glamour, fashion, and Hollywood. So, you know, we got to talk about socks right up front. Just get that right mm. out of the way. I don't think they ever mentioned so socks one time in this book <laughs> that I can think of. I don't know that Evelyn Hugo has ever worn socks. I feel like no. she's always in high heels. And yes. that's a weird look to have high heels and socks on. Totally, yeah. She's way too glamorous and dressed up for that. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Today we'll be discussing the first half of that book, which according to your count is chapters 1 through 30. I didn't even count them that way, but that seems perfect, right? <laughs> for me, it's around page 190 or so. But yeah, we, we cut yeah. the book almost directly in half, so we'll say chapters 1 through 30. A book club episode, if you're unfamiliar with the show or if this is your first time, is an analytical deep dive episode, so we'll be discussing full spoilers just on those chapters. We will be stopping halfway, and so if you're worried about the back half, don't be. Well, that's what we'll be talking about. Let's give a quick setup of the book, Amanda, before we jump in and get into the nitty-gritty of this. I gave you the prompt for this book, and the prompt was a really wide open one. It was just to pick a book with a number in the title. Could you talk the listeners through why you chose this book? Sure. I um, The only book that I could think of that had a number in it was the Haruki Murakami one, um, which is like IQ84 or something like that. Right, right. And I was... Yes, yeah, whatever. I'm not 100% sure what, <laughs> what it's called. I think it's 1984, but I think only one of them is in a number. Ah... Uh, I think. Anyway, yeah, I've got you. I know that one. Yeah, so I was like, well, we've already done Murakami. And I was like, I mean, and I guess and I 1984 veto, I would veto well. a 1,000-page novel also. Yeah, also, yeah, it's huge, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I was like, no. So <laughs> so I actually did some research online to, to see, like, I just typed in, like, titles with numbers in them. And I wanted something that was, like, cool. pretty recent. And so I found this on Goodreads. Um, she... Uh, Taylor Jenkins Reid apparently like got some accolades for a previous book of uh, Daisy Jones and the Six. And then this is like uh, a book that she wrote after that. So I was like, okay, well, I'll try that out. And and it was sure. a romance, an LGBTQ plus romance novel, historical True. novel. And I was like, okay, we haven't done that genre either. So perfect. <laughs> it checked a ton of boxes of things we had not dabbled in. So in that way, it's a perfect fit for where we're at in yeah. the pod. 
I mean, going from Norse mythology to this is just an all-time swing. Right. In terms of content and tone and everything else. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, I think it fits the our kind of behind-the-scenes mission to just cover as wide and vast of literary territory as possible. It feels like a perfect fit and at the right time, too. So yeah. let's get into the work. Hopefully, listeners, at this point, you're just along for the ride. Let's talk about this book. We like to start the book clubs, at least part one, with a fill-in-the-blank prompt just to get some ideas going. Amanda, I'll throw the prompt to you first. Because this is a frame narrative, I figured this would be the best way to kick it off. So, the writer, alive or dead, that I would most like to write my biography would be blank. So, what do you got for this one? I said Oscar Wilde. Um, Yeah. I just, I love him as a writer. I think that he's great. He's witty. He's he's, um, wonderful with words. And he would make any life interesting. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it, it would just every, every, anyway he'd make my life also really ridiculous probably which I'm totally okay with I don't want you know if I were to have write an autobiography or if I had a biographer do my life I'd, I don't want it to be taken too seriously I would want somebody to have fun with it and just kind of make it ridiculous and I think that he would 100% do that <laughs> yeah I think you chose incredibly capable an incredibly capable writer of just a high quality literary merit, all that stuff. I went for, I thought through a lot of the same process. So I'll get to my, what I settled on in a second, but I think here's what I would know. And I think you, you, without saying it this way, agreed and we're picking around this, but this person would have to do a lot with a little, I I don't think (laughs) that my, my tale would be so interesting as of yet, I guess. I don't know who knows what will come, but I just think it would have to be someone who could, write about small things well. And so Jane Austen came to mind, but then I thought, I don't think I'm dabbling in enough social kind of social elite tiers to make, to have her kind of satire and commentary on those manners matter. And so I I was like, "Ah, okay, she can make a lot out of a little or out of social slights and interactions, but I don't think I'm living a life she would find interesting. So then I went back (laughs) further to when life was simpler, you know, your Beowulf times or something. And then I thought, no, it's not mythic in quality or epic or anything. Greek tragedies like Shakespearean, I, you know, part of me thinks just for the fun of it, Shakespeare would be the most fun, but it just doesn't fit the grandeur of his tragedies or, you know, he picked settings that were pretty loaded and pretty historically Mm -hmm. potent. I mean, not always, I guess, but most of the, a lot of princes and kings and such in his works. And so I think what I settled on, because then I thought, okay, I need to pick an author I've spent a lot of time with. I don't want to pick an author I know, you know, one book about or or something like that. I settled on two. The first would be George Orwell. I think he spent enough time with kind of real folks. He was a real champion of, I don't know what we would call, I guess, working class, blue collar workers, that kind of thing. And I don't think my life has pushed me in that direction fully or anything. I'm not a dock worker or... A, a chef. I mean, he's in down and out in Paris and London. He's kind of in between those worlds or road to Wigan Pier is another one, but I just think he could do some justice and he wouldn't overly romanticize anything, which I think I would mm-hmm. appreciate in terms of tone and approach. And so I think he's, yeah, kind of hits that realistic bent. And I think he would find things to admire because he spent his career trying to admire people who were not extraordinary in that regard. And then the other one I picked though, that I just knew well and thought that would be fun would be Jonathan Swift that would be the fun pick, though, because he could turn 
he can turn mundane things into extraordinary things, and we know he can write satire pretty well. So I think yeah. maybe he would be my more fun pick. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, he wrote about times or events in his time that were grand and significant and epic, but he also just had an eye on what he really disliked or liked about Ireland after after a while and the yeah. people who lived there. And so I think he would be my more fun pick for just the style of it all. I like that you chose Orwell because you he would not romanticize uh, your life. And I think that's a great connection to Monique, the yeah, narrator right. of the, <laughs> of the novel. Right. And right. like how um, Evelyn tells her she does not want her life to be romanticized, like specifically. So yeah. And in that way, I guess you're a lot like Evelyn Hugo. Yeah. And that she admired her piece that she had read. Didn't she directly yeah. say that she had read her piece on assisted suicide and kind yep. of admired the rawness of it all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess we're, we're in line. We're in line. I, I have a ways to go before I have the Evelyn Hugo backstory justification <laughs> for it all. But I need to start <laughs> discarding spouses really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I have to make up for I'm a, I'm O for seven or, you know, O out of seven, I guess we could say. So I've got to. I've got to really pick up the pace. That's for sure. Yeah, you should have started at 19. Or, or what did she start at? 15? 15, because she had to lie, didn't she? Yeah, that's yeah, right. She yeah, had she had tell. to lie, and she was supposed to finish high school. Yeah, and she had to tell, because to get her dad's approval, she had to have been 16 to sign off yeah. on that young. Yeah. Well, let's get into the text then. You've made a perfect segue. Let's start, as we always do with the book clubs, with some surprises. These can be pleasant or otherwise. This is just what it sounds like. We're each going to pick something in the text that genuinely surprised us so far. Amanda, why don't you start with your surprise? Yeah, um, I was surprised by the the article snippets that were included. And in fact, like the first yeah. thing that we encounter past the dedication stage is a snippet, um, a modern day snippet, um, where they're talking about... Uh, the author, the author of the snippet. <laughs> There's a lot of authors in this book. Um, That's true. The author, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the author of the snippet is talking about Evelyn Hugo's um, uh, charity thing, where she's giving away a lot of her clothes, selling her clothes to donate to the breast cancer society. So, I find I found it interesting. Like I was surprised by it because I I was surprised that there was going to be some playfulness with the format and the organization of this novel because when I was reading the reviews about it the focus had been on um the the storyline and the progression of the storyline and like specifically the romance aspect of it so seeing that I was I was really surprised and taken aback in a in a in a good way because I was just yeah, like whoa yeah. I was I was definitely not expecting like a stylistic device immediately opening this book i suppose um, my reaction to the those interjections from the newspapers i well there's two things I, I react to with that i think for the genre and sort of the um conventions that this book is working with it feels completely at home with that in fact almost necessary because if you care so much about celebrity then aren't you engaging in these kind of gossip mags that just seems right. those things seem so copacetic or something that it makes sense that they would inject them here so stylistically i'm on board they've been kind of fun i get fun little interjections to read i wonder though i was at, after some point i was paying attention to if any of them ever zagged they just all feel a bit obvious to me i don't know if you've reacted that way it's sort of 
it's kind of just how Evelyn predicts they'll react is how they'll react, if that makes sense. It's sort of she almost has an omnipotence with that in that regard. So it's just kind of I don't know if they've added anything. They're more just entertaining, somewhat humorous check ins with an outsider perspective. But I just don't see they all feel redundant to me, I guess. But it is a nice moment for her to write in a different voice and kind of have fun with it, have fun with that mm-hmm. style. I suppose, though, after a bit, they just became, this is exactly what the narrative led me to believe people would say, this is what I already knew. So I I don't know. I guess after a while, I just kind of shrugged shrugged at them. I don't know if you felt that way. Um, I think that they were put in there cleverly in that instead of her having to instead of um reed having to go ahead and like say within the actual story what happens right because the the snippets actually serve to summarize like the next thing and then she doesn't actually have to write about the next thing she can just move on yeah yeah Um, but in a stylistic and very brief way that we don't she doesn't have to like belabor or anything like that so i think that that's yeah pretty cleverly done too so it didn't bother me in that sense because i was like well this is a good way to just like you know get that information out of the way in a different way where i don't have to read like a few more paragraphs totally of her trying to like push me through the end of that particular narrative and the time jumps can be they vary but you know i think there's at least some that are in the months maybe even years in there at some point because you know she jumps from movie production to movie production at times so yeah as a time moving device it's true. I think pretty well done. I'm going to go for my surprise with another stylistic break, though this one is far more aggressive and much more random because it only happened once that I that I noticed when it happened because it was so intense and so sustained that I then immediately thought, have I been misreading parts of this book? Did this do this before and I did not notice it? In the chapter when she goes to um, sort of seduce and woo Mick, is it Mick Riva or Riva? Yeah, I was pronouncing it Riva. Riva, in my okay. Head, but the the rock star, the musician. When she does that chapter in Las Vegas, it completely switches to second person, and the very clipped way that she's been writing stays that way, but becomes way more intense and urgent in that moment because of the second person. It becomes almost and feels accusatory, and because the sentences are hitting you so hard with action after action that it feels, yeah, it feels accusatory, I guess, is the tone I would settle on. I think it, the urgency fit, I thought it was interesting and I thought it kind of moved that section along made it feel, made it feel dirtier to me kind of again, mm-hmm. cause she's, you know, implicating you, but I guess narratively it did raise some questions like, if this whole thing is being narrated to Monique, then was that, is the you meant to be Monique? Do you think that, are you reading that, that Evelyn was intending this to be aimed at her like, you know you would do this too, right? Or she, you know, she's trying to draw her into her own predicament or something. I don't, right. I, I guess at that moment, because there's already a frame on top of this, I couldn't tell if it was meant to have an effect on me directly alone or if it was for me reading it. Like afterwards, for example, at least as far as I could tell, Monique doesn't stop and interject or anything. So I can't, I wasn't sure how to read that. I thought it fit the intensity, but it felt odd though too. Yeah, when I, read that chapter i also was immediately when i saw the the use of the word you i was like whoa <laughs> like that's very different is changing the second uh second point of view second perspective or whatever and um 
And I was surprised, but like my, in my notes immediately, I, w- I just wrote down advice, question mark. Like, is this, I had yeah. the same question. Is this advice for the readers? Is it like, like the actual readers of this novel? Is it meant to be the readers of the novel that Monique will create? Is it meant for Monique herself? Like, it's just, yeah, several questions that I also would had you, about that. Would but. you agree that up until that moment in the story that it is the most outright manipulative and clever thing that Evelyn has done? because that's how i was reading it because it was such a precise plan so aggressive and so aggressively executed that to then i mean she had married for manipulative reasons before but this was the most you know i have a it was like an airstrike of a plan you know i'm gonna do this in a day this is going to take me a day to pull this off to get us some freedom buy some freedom from the press that i was just thought that shift was kind of emphasizing that part of it that it was sort of she almost came across like a, ta- it was coming across as a tactician or something. It was like a rainbow yeah. six elite SWAT maneuver or something. It just, it felt odd. I, I enjoyed the intensity though, given the circumstances and the, the time frame of it all and just the whole scheme. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. That's how it felt to me. I think. Yeah. I, I also, it was definitely all about strategy and stuff. And I think that was meant to contrast with like her reason for doing it was like, it's supposed to be for love, not just of for her, but for Celia, like the love for Celia and wanting to keep Celia from experiencing like public scorn and to keep Celia happy and all this other stuff. Right. By, by executing this flawlessly, like you have to do it perfectly. Otherwise it'll blow up in your face and then, right. Right. You know, it'll all be for naught. Um, so yeah. And then, but I also thought it was interesting that it also contrasted or even was like similar to the way that actually he was doing the same thing to her. Right. She realizes that at the end, like that he was the entire time manipulating her as well. And he had, yeah, a strategy too so i thought that was i that's an interesting, interesting. moment I, yeah according to how she reads his eyes that is true i don't i don't know if i trust her in that when a person is this manipulative i don't know if they trust their interpretations of other people's manipulations because mm. <laughs> at some point then everything everyone becomes whores i believe is what harry said and that's kind of what the narrative is presenting so i don't know i mean you're right that is what evelyn says that right. he was he was getting off on that that he likes rejection he likes rejecting others rather and so yeah that that's true I coming from her at that point in the story I don't know I can only shrug I maybe that's true I I suppose I read that revelation and yeah anyway that didn't stick with me but um give, given the what she just did <laughs> outright and we know her motivations so anyway yeah. yeah that could be true I suppose I his motivation seemed pretty clear due to what he said throughout the night right. I mean, that, yeah. I don't think that, yeah, whether or not he enjoyed the rejection, I guess, is that's her reading into it, but we know what he said. Anyway, okay, let's move on to some motifs. We've kind of dug into some without saying them out, right? We do like to, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we do like to use the first book club to dig into some literary elements that we think are showing up a lot and that really matter to the story. I, I guess I'll, I've made you go first. I guess I'll go first on this one. Yeah. My motif that matters is being used and using people. And so this is a specific type of kind of emotional, personal, psychological manipulation. This story is heavily invested in it. In fact, the entire frame narrative relies on this premise because she is given the pitch seemingly to be manipulated. That's what her and her boss speculate anyway. Like they think they think that Evelyn's going to use her. And then also vice versa, as soon as Evelyn reveals this grand scheme 
and kind of turns the table, then it's all about, well, should Monique use her for financial advantage and, you know, career propulsion and success? So it's just, it's a story that's very into what should your relationship to a person be and how should you use and manipulate them and use them to get what you want. So that's clearly a concern. I think in terms of tone in the story, I think the the first husband to me is still the most intriguing because it sets such a clear tone and expectations for who Evelyn is and what she thinks of her history and her past. Um, There's a quote on 52 through 53 I'll read briefly. She says, I'm not proud of what I did to him. It didn't feel casual to me the way I hurt him. It didn't then and it doesn't now, but I also know how badly I needed to leave Hell's Kitchen. I know what it feels like to not want your father to look at you too closely, lest he decides he hates you and hits you or decides he loves you a little too much. And I know what it feels like to see your future ahead of you, the husband who's really just a version of your father, surrendering to him in bed when it's the last thing you want to do, making only biscuits and canned corn for dinner because you don't have money for meat. So how can I condemn this 14-year-old girl who did whatever she could to get herself out of town? And how can I judge the 18-year-old who got herself out of the marriage once it was safe to do so? And then Ernie's life ended up fine. And then she concludes, so if we're going by the metric that's all, that all's well that ends well, then I guess it's safe to say that I'm not sorry. And that is her ethos so far throughout the entire story. I don't know. The only regret she seems to have had in a, in a really strong way so far is all about Celia. I, I assume the second half of the narrative now that that revelation has happened, it's going to be mostly about Celia, I, I have to assume. But it does give a complexity to things. She doesn't come across as the most sympathetic person if she's not a little ruthless and pragmatic, I guess. So I enjoyed that her first husband, she grew up obviously in a kind of a bit of turmoil in her, you know, with an abusive father. But to then to complicate her right away, I thought was a smart decision. It just makes it makes it clear that the story isn't going to be, you know, a love letter to a strong, uncomplicated woman, I guess. It's just she has more complex things going on. I think... There's another conversation on 96 and 97 with Celia. This is when she first meets Celia and really has a conversation with her about her place and position in Hollywood. It's where, let me see if I can pull this quote with with some pace here. <laughs> um, they talk a lot about how to fit in in Hollywood and what they should do. Celia says things like, I really like you, Evelyn. And, you know, she gets the side eye. I know that's probably not something actresses say in this town, but I don't want to be like most actresses. So, she, you know, she's coming across as genuine and really sincere and so it's just such a nice contrast. I'm not going to read any more quotes, but they have that conversation about and kind of lay out their different philosophies and Celia seems more innocent, maybe a touch naive and everything. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, how those two characters will continue to develop intrigues me. How Celia's career will go now that they're separated seemingly will intrigue me too because Evelyn has been so clear about being uh, ruthless and pragmatic are the words I'll go back to. And so... Yeah. I think it's it's the motif that I've enjoyed thinking about the most given, especially given the way that first husband went, that he wasn't cruel or abusive in any way. And even I know at some point he supported her acting, but then he kind of said, why not? And she read that as you don't believe in me, even though he let her do it and helped her do it. Like, I don't there were moments when I couldn't read if she was. I don't know. At some point when you want to be manipulative all the time, I just I wonder what your how that twists your perspective and your, you know, perspective on other people, too. And so when he did that, yeah, he might have been belittling her a little, but also he did it and didn't he didn't really explicitly tease her about it that I can that I notice or something. Anyway, I just think that first husband set up some complications that the narrative seems to be paying off. So that's my thought on that motif. Any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I love it. Um 
she even like Evelyn even says like at the beginning when she tells Monique she's like listen I'm not trying to like make myself look good I just yeah, want right. you to tell the truth and you're gonna you're gonna hate me by the end of it um, which is something that I'm looking forward to I'm like yeah she's complicated but I don't hate her yet so I wonder what's gonna happen there um, yeah right <laughs> but yeah with um with Ernie her first husband when yeah the thing that you were mentioning that she was like he didn't really support me it was he said like um who knows maybe you'll be in a movie and she was like damn it i will be in a movie what where's the yeah, support it's, there right? i i read that whole thing because given given that this narrative is going to go through some heights of abuse and as it goes into outright assault and all of that and toxic relationships i just found that one to be such a mellow beginning and that she bucked against it so aggressively and abrasively in that way like you know just divorcing him when it was time and not even i mean again she said i thought i it felt serious then but you know also did it in a day and just like this it took one day to do that so anyway didn't seem really bent up torn up about it but that's okay i just thought that whole the tone of that exchange and her reading of him at that moment just set a good stage for the ruthlessness of her and what she will do to get what she wants though i guess it if that involves apologizing for example will not do that's it seems where that's going with celia right she said she didn't reach out or didn't want to grovel she calls it groveling like to come to some kind of reconciliation in her point of view is groveling instead of just trying to come to some genuine accord after one fight of in one moment right. so anyway yeah i just thought that that whole setup i'm and it, it affects the frame so much because we still don't know or at least i know i've i stopped reading exactly you you might know now but like we don't know what she wants out of monique and so mm-hmm. there could be some form of usage even in the frame happening that we don't that i don't quite understand yet so yeah it was it was the one that stood out the most to me how about for your uh, motif uh yeah i chose um narrative and and truth actually because Mm -hmm. she keeps talking about that and even you mentioned the beginning um uh with frankie and uh monique when they first find out that evelyn asked for her i also pulled that quote for this in that um we're first introduced to the idea of controlling a narrative and controlling truth yeah right first of all with the very first thing that we read which is the snippet of um, the article snippets, those are all attempts at controlling narratives, right? Media controlled and Evelyn controlling that and Don Adler controlling them and stuff like that. So it's all controlling a narrative right. that you present. And also on page six, the it, um, Frankie is talking to Monique about why Evelyn might possibly <laughs> ask for her specifically. And she said, the other theory is that her people chose someone with less clout so that they could try to control you and thus the narrative. So I pulled that one because it specifically is introducing the idea of controlling a narrative and controlling a story, which Evelyn also, by giving Monique her story, she's still setting guidelines. She's like, you can release this book after I die, but I need you to a hundred percent listen to me and understand me really understand what I'm trying to tell you. And that is that I am not a good person that I'm not great, but perhaps I am understandable. And like, so it's, it's her trying to control the narrative as well. Um, and all of her actions, the manipulations that you mentioned, that's her controlling a narrative Mm -hmm. and, and controlling an image that she is presenting to the public specifically as a Hollywood star. Um, yeah, yeah. 
And she, um, so when she tells Ev- uh, Monique, when Evelyn tells Monique that she's choosing her and that she needs her to um, actually write exactly what she wants her to write, she says, um, with a journalist who will hold my legacy in her hands, I must say exactly what I mean and to mean what I say. If I'm going to tell you about my life, if I'm going to tell you what really happened, the truth behind all of my marriages, the movies I shot, the people I loved, who I slept with, who I hurt, how I compromised myself and where it all landed me, then I need to know that you understand me. I need to know that you will listen to exactly what I'm trying to tell you and not place your own assumptions into my story. That's on page 26. So here she's saying, I don't want your input into my narrative. I'm giving you the narrative that you can give to people. Um, mm-hmm. so I see all of this and we also see Don Adler c- uh, attempting to manipulate and control the narrative of his divorce with yeah. Evelyn, Evelyn controlling, um, how people see her and Celia and controlling the narrative of their friendship, quote unquote, and, uh, all that stuff. And we also see that the media snippets have their own narrative and their own biases that they're presenting, you know, often casting Evelyn as kind of a bad guy, um, and it's all about th- this need to control the narrative is based on the feeling of power that comes from that. So I, I found that motif really interesting, and I'm, I'm interested to see how that ends up as well. Yeah, I think in the way it introduces it with Don is important because this is a, a book about old Hollywood and the Hollywood of the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, that kind of era. And so, yeah, I think it, he is the most explicit, clear version of just there's sort of an informal royalty in certain parts, yeah. certain cultures and industries and stuff in the United States. And so, I, you know, it's very medieval. You kind of try to marry into it. You become, you marry into the bloodline or the lineage or the power or whatever. And so, you know, it's pretty clear at this point, especially with at least chapter 30 ends with her marrying somebody to get funding, or at least that's what she said she's about to do. I don't, I, I haven't read past that moment, so I don't know if she does that, but, and so... Yeah, it's sort of that. Uh, it's almost like little fiefdoms. These studios, these yeah. <laughs> production companies that you're, and you're just trying to leverage any power to get around as as best you can, or in any way that you can. Interesting stuff, indeed. Okay, let's talk about what we want to continue and what we'd like to stop. This is the segment called "Please Continue, Make It Stop," where we talk about something we've enjoyed, something we haven't. I've got some small ones, some big ones here, so I'll have you start. Do you want to do the continues or stops first today? Um, I like to end on a positive note, so let's do the make it stops first. Okay, yeah, why don't you throw yours out there? Sure. Um, so <laughs> I am not enjoying Monique's narrative. Um <laughs> Yeah. So Monique as a character is pretty flat and and just her interactions with Frankie, especially like the opening scene, the very first scene where we see Monique and Frankie interact, I was just kind of like, uh like <laughs> Really? Yeah, it's a little stiff, and it checks a lot of... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was not a fan of that. And then, like, continuing to... Like, Evelyn's stuff is just so interesting, and then when you get to Monique's, like, oh, she she gets a phone call or whatever, and she gets a text, or Frankie keeps calling her, and she's just going home, and she's, like, obsessing over the Evelyn story, and, like, that's it, right? Like, we get some sadness from her because she's, like, her husband is separated. Yeah, yeah. And, and stuff but i'm just like i just i can't i can't feel any sympathy for her necessarily like not the same way that i'm like invested in evelyn so i'm just like eh, 
I don't know. The pace of it know. is so strange given the depth of Evelyn's narrative. Right. Like it, there's a point on 91. Let me pull this quote quick. I, I also, so for my, I have two make it stop categories here. The first one is going to be the more in-depth one that you hit, which is the frame narrative isn't doing a lot for me. So let's, yeah. I'm going to jump in here. Uh, at some point there, she's narrating and talking through and then she goes back to Evelyn's and the, the paragraph reads, all right, I say, my spot at Evelyn's desk has become my second home. I've come to rely on Grace's morning coffee. Also, at this point, I think she's been there two days, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm like underreading <laughs> that. Um, it has replaced my <laughs> usual Starbucks habit. Let's pick up where we left off yesterday. You're about to start Little Women. Go. Evelyn laughs. You be, you've become an old hand at this, she says. I learn quickly. How did you, an old hand at what? Just telling someone to go? Anyone, could, what, what is journalistic, interesting, or insightful about that? An old hand at what? She hasn't done anything. <laughs> she's just she's just put a microphone in front of you for a couple of days and said, just please speak more. I don't, I just that's found, a great point. She doesn't do anything. Like, I think that's what yeah. really bothering me. It's like, everything is happening to her, right? Her, she's And she's just going along with it. And you're just like, oh my God. Bit of an just, empty vessel, this one. Bit of an empty yeah. vessel. I think it, that moment, especially because it's not even 30 pages later on 123, when Evelyn, t- after a very long anecdote about Ari or Addie, what's the, the abusive man's name? Uh, Ari, I think. Ari, after that whole thing, she immediately goes, oh, so you want to come out as a gay woman? And of course, Evelyn bucks at that and says, haven't you listened to anything I've said? Yeah, she's becoming great at this, isn't she? She's really got it down. She's <laughs> seeing great, <laughs> tremendous insights into your life and character after these incredibly long stories and anecdotes. I just thought that attempted characterization was, I mean, it was past limp. It may as well have been non-existent. Like, that just felt like such an egregiously... I don't... Almost audience-pleasing transition. I think if we're to read... Monique is just an empty and odd, empty audience vessel, as so often in. Now, this isn't a rom com, but I, it's hitting so many of those tropes that I can't help but think of it in that kind of genre way. So, if it's treating its main character as kind of an empty vessel rom com person, then I guess it's nice to get a little pat on the back or some, or something. But that moment felt so empty. I was like, she hasn't developed in any way. Do what has she done that's good? I don't like. She kind of negotiated well at some point a little bit. She's getting some of that confidence, I guess. But Evelyn doesn't know about that. I don't. It just felt so random and very not uh, pedant. What's the word I'm looking for? Crowd pleasing. I can't find the term. Perhaps you can. What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> it felt shallow to me anyway. It felt very uh, shallow that moment. So I, yeah. And then to have it contrast against the the woman, the moment when she calls her a gay woman and says, that's what you want to do. You want to come out. And so, it, yeah, the simplicity of that just, um, the, the frame isn't doing a lot for me either. Yeah. I think, so, and I, I guess I'll elaborate on this because this is my make it stop that are, I have a couple quick hitters that I'll throw at you and see what you think. So... I think if this story is going to indulge in some rom-com movie tropes, it, it is hitting a lot of them, to be honest. And I don't think those should stop because it's so clearly what it wants to dabble in. And that's perfectly fine. Those tropes are every genre has trope trappings. And that's, again, perfectly valid. But it hits a lot of them really quick. And so, for example, she has a creative job and is clearly capable but is underappreciated classic Mm -hmm. she's successful but not successful enough to be gloating or annoying or arrogant another classic Mm -hmm. rom-coms rarely pick up with someone who's totally in the dumps but they're also not thriving either they have to be relatable to the audience you know they got to hit that you know it's like she's attractive but not too beautiful they're trying to hit that sweet spot of 
you right. have a person who has potential but isn't realizing it. I mean, I guess it's a lot of kind of, I was going to say comedies kind of do that too, I suppose. But I guess, and those are all fine tropes. I guess to me they just jump out because Evelyn's story has nuance and it's kind of unique. And it's also dealing in some history, which I found interesting to read about. So bumping that up against Monique's feels more cliche ridden and simplistic to me, I, I suppose. So it was just kind of like, yeah. a, this is fine, but what it works in a magazine classic. That's classic rom It's like the perfect job for someone who's not so boring as to be a corporate job, kind of creative, but it shows she's kind of capable. It's just, it's that perfect. It just feels like a rom-com cliche to me. It's uh, the other one is ad agency. Those are the two. It's like you work at a, you either write because yep. it's kind of creative, but kind of, you can kind of work your way up still, or you work in an ad agency because again, it's kind of creative. It shows you got a little bit of spunk in you. It's like you got a little bit of a personality. You're not just an accountant, right? Or a janitor or something doing some rote thing anyway. So a couple more quick ones. Let me throw some others at you. Do you find the fashion interesting so far? And what is the meaning of it? It, it, (laughs) Every time it comes up, it's a paragraph of a list that feels like someone Googled, what was in a magazine or it just feels like snippets from a people or an us weekly where it just summarizes the picture on the page. And it's like, I can see the picture. You're just summarizing. Why are you summarizing this to me? They're wearing a green dress from this designer. Okay. And in a novel, it just stands out even more because it feels like fan service. I guess fan service might've been the term I was looking for genre service. It feels like genre service to me. Well, it's also not consistent, right? She doesn't always, discuss what Evelyn is wearing or what the people around her are wearing. It's just like, it's randomly sprinkled in. And it's like, that's the only description we get of like anything. That's the only thing that where we get descriptions of colors, descriptions of like any, like our setting. I don't really know a whole lot. I just know it's in like LA and then, and yeah, but I don't get like a lot of description of like the skyline or of of like, the, the landscape around it or even like what her house looks like or anything like there's no description yeah, I, don't, I don't have a good anywhere. feeling of how it feels to be at her home which we know is lavish because of right of the re and they were both rich when they bought it and all that stuff but i i don't know what it feels like to be there in any way i don't i don't even have a sense of it and yet every other page i'm gonna get a paragraph about just naming it feels like at some point you're just naming garments to me like this was a v-neck one this was a and i just yeah it was a lot of why to me just kind of i the why i can't come over a a get past a why of just people would think this is kind of cool because it's a lot of it's probably references to really stylish things maybe some things from old hollywood i don't quite get the reference to but either it's under explained for someone like me who's outside of that world and needs more i need more help or it is I feel like in other stories with high fashion or people who are rich and dressing up, I do get a sense of the decadence a little more because there's some ev- evocative nature of the description. This just feels very list and summary to me. I just, it, yeah, I don't know how I'm meant to feel about it. Yeah, it's, I, I tried to come up with some reason for it because we definitely see it a lot more <clears throat> in the first couple of chapters and then it's scattered. Yeah through Evelyn's narrative but like we yeah. we get Monique's dis- like we we know what Frankie looks like through her clothes Monique explains what she wears the first time she meets Evelyn and then yeah. she explains yeah. what Evelyn is wearing when she meets her and then the first time she meets Celia on set of Little Women we know that Celia is wearing pants which immediately for me because I knew that this was an LGBTQ plus novel okay. yeah 
and she's wearing pants in a time when women were supposed to be like ultra feminine and like wearing dresses and skirts all the time. I was like, yeah. Oh, I bet that's going to be like the female love interest. Like Got immediately it. for me. That's um, pretty subtle coding then. If there was no other, I, you know, and again, this just could be me not picking up on those fashion trends expectations. I probably read that sentence and just thought it glazed over. It just thought another reference to what her clothing looks like for no reason I can discern. Just any follow-up sentence would be, you know, something about how oppressive they look or, Oh, they look a little too, she looks a little uncomfortable. I don't know. I, I, there may have been a sentence like that to help someone like me, but it all feels very summary to me. And it's, yeah, guess the what? Other, Evelyn like always the looks good. Exam- so I don't know yeah, how many ways you want to hear that said. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I was not, I was not a fan of the, the descriptions of the, the clothes either, but we do get in the, the beginning, the very first snippet that she's selling her clothes. So I was like, yes, is she just yes. trying to keep tying it back to that? But I don't know. I don't know why she would really if, care. If at the end of the narrative, all the garments were meant to have meant something, I think there were just too many. The seven husbands I can track, you know, thematically yeah. at, throughout the story. Every time we get a new one, I'm thinking, okay, let's some new character development, new twist, new what you know, it's clearly those are good moments to reset in the story in a way. But yeah, right. if, I'm, if I'm meant to do that with the fashion at the end, then I, this has gone so over my head. <laughs> it feels way too listy. All right, let me hit you with a couple other quick ones. Sorry. Yep. Do you need Evelyn's breasts described more? <laughs> um, all I know about them is that they are huge. <laughs> Gosh, I guess I suppose you're right. I feel like there were some there about the tone and shape, though. I, I'm not going to bother to dig back in. I just think it's come up more than... I don't know. I, it's odd because it's surely me, a white man, could not call this novel objectifying, but it's come up more than I would have expected. And again, I just, when I sit here and read, it's come up enough for me to go, what is this doing other than reemphasizing again that she's extremely beautiful to men they lust after her? I just, I, yeah, it's just, it does it again. Okay. I guess it's reemphasizing something I don't need. I already know. I, it, I just don't feel like there's been a nuance to it. I suppose that's what I'm bucking up against. Not sure if you felt that way too. I feel like it's it's the one part of her body that she feels empowered about, right? Because from the very beginning, when you're right, the, right. the first dude that she like encounters who like kisses her without her wanting to do it because she's well developed, um, then that's when she realizes that actually I could either let him do this like for free and I get nothing out of it, or I right. let him do it and I get something get some out of candy. it too. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that that's the source of her, what she feels like is her femininity and therefore the source of her power yeah. over people. Yeah, completely. I guess I'm waiting for the subversive moment and instead it's just yeah. kind of the same note again and again. Yeah. How about, do you enjoy rhetorical questions that tell you the theme of the moment? No, because there are lots of them. <laughs> this book likes to stop and ask rhetorical questions, and then it just tells you what you the theme of what they just talked about or the, what the event should have shown. <laughs> it reminds me of, and I have zero critical insight on this show. I am just going to make it as a point of comparison because it's the thing I thought of. Uh, the end of the, every episode of Sex in the City ends with the main character, Carrie, typing a blog about what happened. Is that correct, by the way? That's my impression of the show. I've seen those that's, clips. 
those are the same clips that I've seen because I haven't watched this I, show. Me neither. I, I'm, I'm passingly familiar. My mom used to watch it when I was younger, but w- when it was way over my head, topically, thematically, whatever, probably even just intellectually. And I remember the Mr. Big Guy. Anyway, some I remember snippets. But that's what you see from that show. It feels kind of that way where there are moments towards the end of chapters in this book where there, it's just going to hit you with five rhetorical questions just in case you needed to catch up on what mattered. And it... Yeah, <laughs> not my not my favorite writing device, not my favorite stylistic choice. Uh, feels a bit heavy handed for me. Okay, final one for me. Do you enjoy love cliches deal dealt with punchiness? Like people think sex is intimacy. Intimacy is about truth. Does that quote do a lot for you? Um, I feel like it's something that I've heard many times. So. I just wonder if the revelations are meant to be that deep or if the second half will reveal something else. This all, of course, is a frame narrative. These are things that Evelyn is saying aloud to someone. And in that regard, her character shines through so much. She's an interesting character, complex. There's a lot going on. I There have been enough moments like that where I think if this was not a frame narrative and let's just say like a third person story with some character and and something like that was delivered, I would go, that is a cliche masquerading as profundity. And Mm -hmm. it's I'm not saying it's wrong. Often cliches have some kind of truth in them or something. I, I look at those two sentences and think, sure, but did we need something so simple told to us? Then again, within the frame, I don't know if I hate those moments i just look at them and think okay (laughs) i don't again it feels kind of in line with the rhetorical questions where i don't disagree with it but i also think i okay i (laughs) i don't know i guess i'm that's my final thought what are you any thoughts on those i there were a few instances where i was like you could have worded that in a completely different way that could have been so creative (laughs) yeah and i don't think i'm feeling those things as much as i'm being told them I, I suppose right. is what it comes down to. Now, when the, the Celia Evelyn argument, there were some in, interesting, complex dynamics happening. I, you know, there are moments I've been feeling it, I've been vibing with the narrative yeah. and kind of getting into that stuff. But a lot of the times, it does little. I, I would call them little check-in moments. I guess it feels like sometimes it's like checking your homework, where the novel wants to make sure it's checking in on you and just sort of mm-hmm. looking after you, and that's perfectly fine. I remember seeing one of the reviews for this. Maybe it was on the back. I don't know where I saw this, but somebody called it like an ideal beach read and everyone out there can have their own definition of what a beach read means. But I think I I can kind of see it here. Yeah, I would definitely call this a beach read. Yeah, if I was three (laughs) beers deep and reading this at the same time, a check in is nice. It's nice to have that. (laughs) Sometimes you need just a little bit of guidance or something. Okay, that's the end of my make it stops. Did you have anything else? No, that was it for my make it stop. Excellent. Let's get to the positivity like you said. I will have you go first, I suppose. Why not? Um, What should continue? What do you want to keep going? I love the development of Evelyn's character. Like, the way that Reed has developed her character from the very beginning. She's just so dynamic and interesting and complex. Like, this is definitely if you are interested in like the psychology of a character of a person, she's very fleshed out and she's, she's just full of all kinds of emotions and like reasons and motivations. And she's flawed, but she's also got some good to her. It's like, I just really, really enjoy how she's being characterized. And I think that that's like my favorite thing about this so far. This is what is really propelling me to continue reading this novel. Oh, without a doubt. Yes, those chapters 
I don't pause when I see the frame part come back, but I do, since it hasn't paid a lot of things off yet, I do kind of just think, okay, whatever, let's get back to Evelyn's story as soon as possible. Because yes, it is the propulsive part. It's got the complexity, the depth. I would like a little maybe more with the Hollywood stuff. A lot of that feels name droppy. Like I want, I guess I want more on set, you know, do you feel like you've been on set really yet? In the no, I kind of want more of that. <laughs> I kind of want more of the logistics of the. I don't know. I guess this movie isn't it. What this movie or sorry, this book is not concerned with insights into movie making. It's concerned with celebrity and the public yeah. perceptions, like you nailed in the motifs. So I suppose I shouldn't expect things that the book is not interested in delivering. But every time they reference a movie and then spend zero time there, my heart, I'm just like, ah, that would have been kind of fun to see. <laughs> I wonder how she <laughs> behaves on set, for example. I don't. We don't know yeah. really. <laughs> we know that she gave that French director some good advice about titillation, but that's that's about it. So at any rate, yeah. No, Evelyn's fascinating. What a character study. Pretty dynamic, I would agree. I am reading her... I don't know, and this is... um, Feel free to just throw throw the patriarchy at me or something. I'm reading her not very sympathetically yet, though, of course, there are quite obvious things. Being shamed and silenced as a perhaps gay or bi woman, you know, awful, tragic. It seems like that's going to end tragically, perhaps. Being physically abused horrendous awful and doing and you know taking it all in silence even getting to the point of that stockholm syndrome of accepting it and thinking she wanted it or sorry not wanted it deserved it not definitely not wanted mm-hmm. deserve she felt like at times she knew oh maybe i shouldn't have said something to him maybe I, and i feel like those were great moments because they show that i feel like every time that came up in the narrative that she said something to him and then th- reflected and thought, oh, I'm go- I shouldn't have said that. I was being too mean. I'm going to get it later. They were always yeah. things that were objectively funny or clever, and they were never harsh. They were always, they were always very reasonable, good-humored, or insightful things that any healthy relationship would in- would not even endure, but maybe encourage. Like none of those moments were caustic, and yet, of course, she is abused for them. And yeah, there's just a lot of dynamic things to understand about her story. Yeah, I found it pretty fascinating, too. I agree. Any husbands stand out to you so far? Any favorites? Favorites? Not not favorites uh, you would like to hang out with them. Sorry, I should rephrase. That's a very book clubby (laughs) question. I'm not saying which ones you'd like to have a beer with. Which ones felt the most interesting narratively and kind of... Because I'm still stuck on the first one. It gave... It cast such a cloud over her motivations and character that he was so limp and seemed a little supportive and kind of just like a nice normal dude and that she was so quick to get rid of him and use him as a ladder that would set an odd tone for me that I don't know I'm just going to be wondering about that the whole book now I I suppose so to me that was the one I've been thinking about the most some of the other ones have just been outrightly horrific abusive and criminal and so Yeah. yeah I don't know any any of them felt I don't know the most intriguing to you or the yeah what do you think um, I, I wonder what Don Adler is going to be like, the, the abusive one, like after, after their divorce, like, yeah, he's mm-hmm. like a rising star, but just like with uh, Evelyn points out, like beauty and stuff like that, that doesn't last. Right. Uh, yeah. For men, they get to, they get to enjoy, um, as they age, you know, they have, there's different expectations about male beauty as, as they age versus female beauty so men have a longer shelf life i suppose in that regard but still like right it'll be right. interesting and and then like he's supposed to um he's engaged to ruby right so yeah. i wonder what that's gonna be like um for sure as well 
Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm interested in, I suppose. Yeah, the line that segued into Don where she ended that chapter with, and then he began to hit me, and it just ended there, I thought was yeah. another really extreme tonal shift that, you know, the, the book I think has paid off. They've explored that co- really toxic relationship pretty well. Yeah, yeah. my please continue, I'm just going to go back very briefly to something we already discussed lightly. I thought the experimentation in 29 was a fun switch, and I enjoyed it. I When they went to second person... That whole story, that narrative, it felt like a short story within this tale, within this longer yeah. novel. I, I don't think the whole book would work that way because of its intensity and the sort of the chaotic and stressful t- tone that that entwined with that moment felt right to me, given the stakes, given the Celia relationship with Celia. So anyway, I just thought that part was great. And I, I would like maybe a little more risk taking in the narrative. I agree with you. Now referencing something way back, but I agree that I like the newspaper interjections and the gossip columns, but to me, those again, haven't had the surprise and the intensity or payoff that that chapter did. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I've enjoyed those, but they've all felt very, what felt very to my expectations and according to what the narrative led me to think they would say. And so I, yeah, that moment just stood out so much. I really enjoyed the writing there and thought it it kind of got the intensity it deserved. So I would say continue more of that, but I guess I don't want the whole narrative to become that either. So, Right. More risks in small places, maybe, is what I would say. Let's end the yeah. let's end this book club. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Let's wrap it up here. We, we like to end around the hour mark. We're, we're cruising. We're going to end, as we usually do with our part one book clubs, with one big, bold prediction about this book, since this is one coherent story and we're halfway through Let's end with a prediction about what we think is going to happen or really anything that you'd like to. Amanda, talk us through your big, bold prediction. Uh, mine is because the Monique narrative bothers me. Um, I yeah. am thinking that she's meant to be a flat character. So, but I think that this is going to be like a, almost a coming of age narrative for her where she's going to, come into her own. And I think in order for her to do that, she is going to file for divorce from David, from her husband. Okay. Because right now they're just separated and he left her and she's struggling with that. But I think that she is going to, she's going to be the one to actually go ahead and end it. And that's going to then facilitate her becoming more of like more confident and becoming uh, her own person, her own woman. Um, and growing in that way. And I think, which it's funny because, you know, the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo, most of them end in uh, divorce. Right. 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 That, that we've seen so far. I think all of them have ended in divorce. Maybe some right? in death, I would guess. Yeah. Maybe later. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's like divorce is like good for women. <laughs> it's almost like the message here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or um, but, I, th- yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah or just i mean harry put it succinctly on some page we're all whores in some way it's the message yeah. of this is to first of all reclaim that word and redefine it but it's just to be a whore in your life just yeah. to be i mean which is another we can just translate and simplify that to be be selfish and serve yourself and do it in a way that maybe doesn't hurt others a lot maybe a little you know you can hurt others a bit i don't know i think this book poses interesting questions about morally speaking, ethically speaking, how far that hurt can go before it becomes unacceptable. But yeah, anyway, maybe we'll cover that topic in one of the essays or something. Okay, Monique's divorcing David, you said, taking life by the balls as the quote goes, as you put. 
And yep. <laughs> any final by the balls. That's what Evelyn said. Any final thoughts on? So my predictions also going to be be about Monique rather. I think it has to be right, given the myster- mystery of that narrative. I like. Yeah. I, I have no predictions about Evelyn. I just want to ride that ride. Monique, it's just there's so much unexplained, and it's kind of been a bit more shallow. So I, yeah, my predictions about Monique as well. We know she was chosen, but has no direct connection. Her father's in movies, but claimed to have no. There's no relevance there. Connection supposedly. She's an experienced journalist, but not yet famous. And Evelyn mentioned knowing her, so we know that. We know that she knew of Monique, but, you know, she's not a rising star yet. There's a lot to connect them thematically to. There, there's the divorce element, of course. That's the most obvious connection between them. It seems that she has the markers of professional success, but hasn't really made it, which Evelyn was kind of at that point, too. She really wanted to make it big, but had only gotten a little bit of success, then made it bigger, and that they're matching up in that way, too. They're also, talking about something unremarked upon, they're both biracial, but the... It, did you find the story explored that in any meaningful way? No, there was, um, I don't know if you noticed, but all of the women that uh, Monique has interacted with have been minority women. Just in the, you mean her boss and the woman who works for Evelyn, I guess? Is yeah. there, am I missing another? Yeah. And Evelyn herself as well. Right, right. I had not noticed that. That, yeah, okay. I just didn't think, because it came up, it's page one stuff for Monique. It's the one of the first things we learn about her and that her mm-hmm. boss. And one of the first things we learn about Frankie too. Yeah, and that that's a comfortable relationship with her boss. And then, of course, I guess in Evelyn's it came up a bit more because of the changing her appearance, you know, to fit in and dropping Spanish. But it hasn't really come up since. So I just, I felt like it was something that was hit really quick and then just kind of, I don't know if the novel's going to revisit that concept or have that be an important part of it, but that is another connection between them. They're kind of, you know, societally maybe considered outcasts or, you know, trying to, society's trying to shape them into something they might not be or something. So all of that mm-hmm. considered, I feel like you're right. Evelyn, Monique has to follow Evelyn at least a little, right? I don't know why else this would be, they would be so connected. So my guess would yeah. be she's going to take both the promotion and get the book money, which at this point, both are on the table still. She's kind of manipulating both sides, right? And if you're talking about yeah. using people for your advantage, that just feels like the Evelyn thing to for Monique to do. That feels like the Evelyn outcome, so to speak. The one thing I wonder is with the David, you said you're predicting divorce. I'm going to predict reconciliation because it's the one thing Evelyn couldn't really pull off. She could not She could not forgive, and she could not, as she put it, grovel, which <laughs> I thought that was such a ridiculous moment, but a really good character moment, though, for her. And I thought insightful about the way she processes interactions and human connection. But anyway, I think that's where I would de- deviate, that Monique is going to kind of break Evelyn's trend of going through casual romantic relationships, kind of, sorta, and that maybe she'll they'll reconcile in some way. I don't know that. So I'm gonna go with a lot of the same ones, but I guess on the David side, that feels like maybe where she'll break away in a way after after getting mm. what she wants financially. I, yeah, Interesting. Need, so she needs to feel secure before she can feel secure in a in a, in the relationship. So yeah, or, secure financially or maybe that she can get both. I, but you're right, though. That was what mm. led them to divorce, right? The job difference or something? Yeah, he was going to right. San Francisco, and she wanted to stay in New York for her job. So. Right, career career path divergence right. and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I just think that the amount of pride Evelyn has, and at times bordering on arrogance and then kind of a, a ruthlessness in dealing with people, that all reads to me like something that Monique does not have, right? Mm, yeah, she seems she's very yeah meek. 
<laughs> right, yeah. And with her boss, that w- we've already got an indication that it's rubbing off because of how she angled with her boss and took advantage yeah. of that and is hopefully going to get some, some rise in stature and promotion and everything. So, yeah, I, I agree with you on all the connections. I guess we'll see how the David stuff goes. It's still fresh. He just texted her where I'm at, at the halfway mar- yeah. mark. So we'll see what is to become of that. All right, now that we are halfway through and finished with the book club, Amanda, final thoughts on the seven husbands, uh, husbands rather, sorry, of Evelyn Hugo. Um, despite not usually reading this type of genre, I'm, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the narrative for sure. Yeah, for sure. I I've enjoyed it's. It was an interesting genre split for me too. It, it's not what I would normally do. I think. I know I mentioned this earlier, but I read a lot of genre fiction, sci-fi fantasy that comes with its own baggage of tropes. This just feels to me laden with that same baggage, but I mean, that's just kind of a genre fiction. I don't, this strikes me, and I keep saying rom-com, I know it's not a comedy, but it just is dealing with a lot of those current pop culture-y romantic expectations of storytelling in a way, which mm-hmm. I think is perfectly fine. It's not ruining yeah. it for me by, I mean, not by a long shot ruining it. And Evelyn's narrative, as you said, is quite strong. I, this is something I certainly would not have picked up on my own, but I'm also enjoying it fine. It's quick reading. We'll say that. You know? Yeah. I don't think we need to tell, if you've listened this long, you've probably hopefully been reading it too. <laughs> but if you have been listening and haven't, yeah, this is, it's been quick reading it's been engaging. It's it's clearly meant to move. There's dialogue just all over the place. This book moves at a clip. So, yeah, I've been yeah. enjoying it, too. I think, yeah, outside of my genre wheelhouse, but for that reason, it's been pretty entertaining and, and you know, pretty illuminating. Any final predictions with Celia? I guess I'll hit you with one more. Mm, Celia. I don't know. Poor Celia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the fact that neither of them reached out to reconcile telling i guess yeah i think she's got her own issues too because um evelyn so celia is straight up she only likes women right she's she's 100 percent lesbian versus evelyn who is bisexual um, yeah and so she's she's gonna have a hard time because she she's she tells evelyn that she's jealous of the men of her life and she right, does not right. like that evelyn actually did love don adler so and it was the and it was the unspoken sex in that arrangement with mick riva that that yeah. you know ended up driving the seemingly permanent rift between them anyway that yeah. was the thing that broke broke them down yeah yeah, I don't know what's going to become of Celia. I have to assume the rest of it will be about her since, you know, those questions, Monique's first question, who did you truly love and all that. So I have to assume that will be, she's going to be the primary love interest floating around in the background as we rifle through some more husbands. <laughs> let's let's see what other uses she can have for husbands, shall we? Yeah. All right, final prediction. I don't know why I don't want to let this pod go, but I have one more <laughs> for you. Well, let's get back to something I mentioned. How many more descriptions of Evelyn's breasts do we get in this novel? oh hmm do you mean like descriptions other than like they're big let's say straight up just (laughs) references of any kind except for i will not say if it's sort of describing a dress no if if it directly references how a piece of clothing sits on her chest or just a reference to her chest in general let's just say references just and of any kind i would say that probably once maybe once or twice each section because the sections are broken up by husbands 
So I would say okay, okay. probably a couple times per section. Fair enough. So maybe I, I, I haven't even counted the husband so far. Let's say six to 10 then. I was going to say yeah. 10 would have to be the betting number and then you can kind of pick above or below that. I think 10 is yeah. a good one for me to settle on. Okay. Alrighty. Well, as always, we have been the Lightly Literary Podcast. As I mentioned at the top, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Lightly Literary Podcast, all one word. Rate and review us. Recommend us to your friends, please, on any podcast platform of your choice. We'll be back in a week from now on Friday again with Book Club Part 2. So if you finish the book by then, come and join us. If not, it will be in the podcast feed for as long as we keep it up. And you can go listen to it whenever you want to. And as always... We'll see you between the pages. Thank you.